Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Well, good morning, all you totally love people. How are you? Good. That's great. Halfway through this message, you're going to be completely depressed, just so you know. (laughs) But hang in there. We got good news at the end. I'm going to be talking to you today and finishing my first thought that I had for you, and that is that God has an absolute dream for you. And in Jeremiah, he says, you know that I know that I have plans for you. And that means that God is a dream for you. you got people to see, places to go, things to do that he ordained from the, the few, from the past for your future. And so the whole idea of you just kind of living your life, doing your thing, paying the bills, making it happen, uh, lowest possible bar you could probably do. Yes, you'll get to heaven, but you know what? There's a whole nother level of life that God has for you when you get in sync with the dreams that he has for you. And so we, I've talked to you about that, that God has these plans for you. And today I want to dive in a little bit more and hit some of those places that we hit in our life when uh, you, hey, yeah, God's got a plan, it's great, and things are going along, and all of a sudden they're not going anymore. And uh, it's a little bit like you, you drive along the road, and if you've ever gone through... Um, the mountains, you know, they have these things that say falling rocks or a thing like that, and they have, you know, stuff over there. And then you have stuff like this happen in your life. Loose gravel. That looks a lot, like loose gravel you could probably handle, right? But all of a sudden you get, you get boulders in the way of your life. And whether it's people, events, or circumstances, or just seems like life is conspiring against you, you get discouraged. And what happens is something dies inside of you. And as I was preparing this, I felt like God said to me that there are people in this group, online and in person, where you've done the thing that you're probably hearing on the news. Have you heard of this thing called quiet quitting? Where, where it isn't that people are you know, marching out and throwing down their resignation and saying, ah, bitch, I'm out of here, is they're slowly just stopping doing their job. And in our life, If we aren't careful, it's what happens to us. We sort of quiet quit the dreams that God has for us because of the things that happen, because of people sometimes, because of the discouragement events. It just looks like they're boulders in your life. So I'm going to walk you through uh, a few people's stories And we're going to see how God helps us to move in, around, and through those things because he is wanting you to live in that whole time where you can say, I am actually living the dream. Yes, I have all this stuff happening around me, but this I am living God's dream for my life. And there is something absolutely encouraging and hopeful that happens when you do that. Okay, so there are three things that we're going to look at that if we live the dream, it means that we need to be dreaming forward with people, with perspective, and with process. And we'll do the first two a little bit more significantly. So there is a way that God wants to put people around you and in your life that can help you, encourage you, be a part of your deal as you move forward. Now, Uh, The problem with people is, they're people, right? And Amen. 
<laughs> and you're one of them, right? It's just the way it works. And, and uh, you live your life for a little while, you're going to realize that even as Christians in the body of Christ, you're going to realize that people are people, and uh, they're not always fantastic. And sometimes they will say to your face, oh, that's great, you should do that. And then you hear from somebody else behind your back, oh yeah, that loser will never make that happen. And something inside you shrinks a little bit, right? Or you have people that you thought you could count on, but then you realize you can't count on them. And, and people in a million ways can start of um, wear you down. I, had a, 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 <laughs> I know it shouldn't strike me funny, but it does. So I had a pastor friend who said, you know, he says, I'm kind of done the ministry because it's like getting pecked to death by a duck. <laughs> it's like a ridiculously vivid image, isn't it? Right? And, and people can... Do that. Now, here's the thing that, that you need to get. And I think this principle is, can be like universally helpful to you in your life. And that's this, is that God has called us to live in attention in when it comes to people. Because the way the world functions is this way. There are good people and there are bad people. And we line up our guns with the good people and we shoot all the bad people. And it's those people, you people, right? This is how this works. And it's easy. And it might be in the immediate, emotionally satisfying. Good people, bad people. But like everything else in this world, we need to live in the tension of the fact that sometimes good people do not great things. And sometimes good people disappoint you. And you live in the tension of the fact that people are people. And in fact, it's the way we live all of our life. It's the way you do your theology. If you're really thoughtful, you can be, realize that you can be Calvin and Wesley. You hold those things in tension, right? Is that you can understand that you can be pro-Israel and pro-Palestine. Ooh. Maybe we're called to a ministry of reconciliation, right? We can live our lives in such a way where we hold both things because God has called us And it's how Jesus works with you. Jesus said the kingdom has come. It's already at hand, right? It's coming, but we still live our lives and we still are not fantastic sometimes. Amen? Amen, Amen, right? And so God holds those two things perfectly in tension and so can you. And as you are dealing with the people around you who have sandpaper on their shoulders and they rub you the wrong way, And all of those things that people do because they're people, we need to hold that tension in place because God has designed you to be together with a group of very flawed people and do amazing things because they're his dreams and his plans. With the people who are around you, in your small group, in your friendship, in your neighborhood, in your church, God has designed you to be together with this group of people, and you hold in tension the fact that, you know what, sometimes they're just not fantastic. Sometimes they fail, and sometimes so do you. There was a, a young lady in our church who talked to me last service, talked about her dream, and she told me her story, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. She says, I first came to the church here, and Pastor Keith, uh, 20 years ago, said, prophesied over me that I was a shining light. And she went away thinking, 
I'm a shining light. Nobody even knows that I exist. She had sort of come in from Africa, and she kind of felt all alone and by herself. And then she went through the foundations class, because that's what everybody should do. And then at the end of the foundations class, she had somebody who do an interview, Gwen, uh, talks and kind of gets you placed in the church. And she says, well, you know, maybe I'll just sing in the choir. And Gwen said, you know what, I, and, and she, Gwen kind of felt like the Holy Spirit was directing her, said, I think you should work with youth. And then she said, well, I don't like youth. Some of you, some of you don't say amen at this point. It's a calling. And, uh, you know, and she said, wow, okay. So, but Gwen said, yeah, you know, just why don't you try it? So she starts going in and she starts working with youth. And you know what? She didn't like youth. I don't know. How is this possible? And so she kind of keeps doing it and everything. And she, she learns to grow in and she finds sort of her little niche in it, right? Of how she can do stuff and make it happen. Fast forward to the last Sunday. She said, you know what, Pastor Robbie, I'm actually leaving. I'm going to a master's, a master's level study that I need to go away from town. And you know, this weird thing happened to me is as I was saying goodbye to all the people in the youth ministry, they're always saying, oh, we're going to miss you. You've been amazing. And, everything. and all of a sudden from 20 years ago, the prophecy came back to her. You are going to be a shining light. Huh. That thing that she completely dismissed, and these people, these kids that she thought, ah, who would want to work with youth? Ends up that that was God's plan for her life. You hold in tension those things that you have in your life because God knows. God knows. There's a kind of a crazy story. Teacher says, you know what? Just to her, her class. I know that all of you are on your phone. Do you know how I know that? Because nobody looks down at their crotch and just laughs. <laughs> God knows. That was the point of that stupid story. Uh, the people who, uh, if you're going to dream forward, you need to understand that there is a way that you put up with people's stuff. I, I have... The, the sign that I saw to me was just like super hilarious because there's so much canceling going on in this world. Please cancel my subscription to your issues. <laughs> and somebody says, hey man, except the problem is then you're going to get canceled too, right? Because you have issues. So how do we work through this? We understand that we keep an intention. I remember when I was finishing uh, the first church that I was at and I never ever wanted to finish uh, I heard a, a sermon where a pastor said, uh, to the young pastors we were starting out, said, if you want to be successful in a church, when you move to the town that you move to, you buy a plot in the, in the, the cemetery. I almost said seminary. You buy a plot in the cemetery where you are living. And I was like, ooh. Okay, I get the thought behind that, Right? And so, and I had kind of in my mind done that. I thought I was going to live Oakville, just a little bit outside of Portage of Prairie. I was going to die there because I love the people and they're amazing, amazing, amazing people. Still keep in contact with many of them. And so as I was, was pastoring there, it, it got to the place where people are people, right? And so we had to finish. And so we finished. And we were in the middle of it, and I, I felt like God and Eileen both felt like God said, you, you're going to be church planting. And I had this church planting thing just rolling around. And I thought, oh, this is good. I'm going to go church planting. And a block from my place, there was this little Lions church that had closed down, so there was an empty church there. I'm going, huh, isn't that interesting? 
And then I had a bunch of people coming to me and saying, hey, Aubrey, if you would be going to a church in this area, if you're going to be the pastor, I'll come to your church. I was like, oh, 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 right? And so all these things are sort of rolling around in my mind. I thought, well, you know, I got affirmation from people. I, and I really felt like God had said we were supposed to church plant. And so I went to the guys that I was closest to who weren't part of the church. And I had spent lots and lots of years with them. And we were, we were very familiar with each other. So we just told it straight. And so I told them my whole thing. And I could tell it was not landing on good ears. And the guy looked up at me after I was done and said, you know, that would be the worst decision you could possibly make in your life. <laughs> I went, what? <laughs> Seriously? Like church planting, God, me, these people who are affirming me. And he said, you know what's going to happen if you do that? All the work that you put into that congregation, into those people, all the love you put in, all the care over 12 years, you're going to blow the whole thing up. That's true. That's what would have happened. You need to go. I was like, oh. But in my mind, I had already have a cemetery plot. Because Aubrey loves these people and he's going to be with them. Ten years later, Eileen and I realized what the church planting thing inside of us was that we actually planted all the campuses at Church of the Rock. That's the thing that God called us to. And I am so glad that, you know, there's sort of mixed results from the people, right? And nobody had bad intentions. There was no bad people in that story, right? But they needed to have people in my life that I would listen to. And you need to have people in your life that you've spent time with, that you've been through the trenches with, that you've walked with, who they can say to you when the moment is right, hey, you know what, that's a great idea, or that's the stupidest idea you've ever had. And as you hold those things in tension, you understand that God takes absolutely flawed people, and he uses them for his amazing purposes. Who are those people in your life? Because you need to have those people if your dreams are going to live, move forward. If you're really going to do that, you can live in the tension and say, you know what, I'm going to choose. And I think it, I think it gets tougher as you get older. I'm going to choose not to quiet quit on the body of Christ. Because you guys are actually the key to each other's dreams coming true. Second thing, if we're going to dream forward, we need to have a perspective that comes from the promises of God. I'm going to read you a promise that you need to take to the bank. Truly, truly, I say to you, in the old, if you were in the King James, it was verily, verily. In other words, this is an incredibly important thing. Jesus replied, no one, say no one has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or field. Are you kind of getting it? In other words, any sacrifice, anything that you've given up for God uh, will fail to receive, say a hundred, a hundred times as much in this present age and list all things and also in the age to come eternal life. 
Why this is important is, as you go through life and you are discouraged, you've made the, God has planted a dream, you believe it. You've made the decision to say, I'm do that dream. Then you get into the squigglies and you get discouraged. There is going to come a time when you are going to think this dream has died. Or this just isn't working. And those boulders are just too big and just too strong. And what you're going to need in addition to good people around you is you're going to need to have a perspective on the promises of God in your life and really have faith be engaged in a different way than maybe you've ever had faith engaged before. You know what faith is. And and, uh, faith can be used for many things. I found this on the internet, so it has to be true. This is, this is using faith as a uh, single guys. Are you ready? I'm here for you. This is using faith as a pickup line. Here we go. Hello, sister. Is your name faith? Because you look like the substance of things hoped for. <laughs> Ladies, are your knees growing weak? No, not really. <laughs> okay. So there are other more productive things that you can use faith for. <laughs> And that is really understanding that there are promises of God that he has given you that he wants you to live in, walk in, and uh, to apply to your season of discouragement that you're going to have. Apply to those times that you absolutely, you know, there is no place that you can see. There is no way out of this. And you think, man, I'm pretty sure that that dream is dead. Maybe it wasn't God. Maybe it's those stupid people you put around me. I don't know what it is. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take two people, and this is the part that's going to be a little discouraging. We're going to take two people, and we're going to do a deep dive into how it felt to be them in the middle of their worst days. All right? So we're going to take Moses and Elijah. So Moses uh, grew up in the palace. God put a burden on his heart. Can you say the word burden? That's what you're looking for. When you, when you have God's dreams, it's his burden that he puts on you. God put a burden on his heart to be, his dream was to be a deliverer. He was going to deliver the people from slavery into the promised land. And he was God's man. It was God's dream that he put on his heart. So he goes in the palace and he tries to do it on his own. And it clearly doesn't work. He gets sent off to the, the pasture for 40 years. He comes back and God says, I have a dream for you. You are going to deliver my people. Let my people go, right? And Moses said, I can't do it. And it's kind of like God saying, perfect. Now I got you exactly where I want you. You can't do it, but we can do it. And so he moves them along, all the plagues, they go out into the promised land, you remember it, take another lap around Mount Sinai, right, they're going, and finally they get to the place where he can go to the promised land. And I'm not going to get into all the whys and the wherefores, but do you remember the scripture of what happened in Deuteronomy 32? And God says to Moses, therefore, you will see the land only from a distance, the promised land. And you will not enter the land that I am giving the people of Israel. I want you to sit there for a while. 40 years. He and God, you know, having this incredible thing, kind of like nobody has had with God before, right? Is that fair? And then God says, you know what? That dream... He's just going to sit here. Moses, Elijah. Elijah is 
one of the most amazing prophets that you are going to see uh, all through the times of the history of Israel. Uh, does incredible things for the Lord. And uh, he, has the, he has the revival dream in his heart. That God, he is believing that God is going to take the children of Israel and they are a train wreck. And they're going to bring them back to the place where they understand the glory of God. They understand who God is and all these stupid idols and everything they're getting caught up in. It's not. And so he has this dream pounding in his heart. Every day he gets up and he feels it. And then the time comes when he has, remember Mount Carmel, right? He has that whole big thing and God comes down and shows his power and boom. And, and Ahaz, the worst king ever, gets killed. And the prophet of Baal gets killed. And And then what was supposed to happen didn't happen. And there was no revival. And the people kind of yawned. And Queen Jezebel sent him a letter and said, you're next, buddy. You're going to be dead before this day's finished. And so Elijah finds himself in the infamous cave. And he's like, I'm done. He wasn't quiet quitting. He was loud quitting. (laughs) And I want you to hear what God says to Elijah. Because this first word, this first sentence, is a sentence that I think think God might say to you when you're in a place when you're struggling. And that's this. Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing in this place? What are you doing? And he wasn't condemning him. He was just trying to get him to see the reality of where he had quit to. Elijah, what are you doing? I remember listening to a guy who was saying to me that he, he, had, he had quit in his Christian life. And he said, I was literally laying on the couch watching my third football game and eating chips. And I looked down and they were all over my <laughs> front of my shirt. <laughs> and it felt like God said to him, what are you doing here? It's a great question. What are you doing? And then he says this to Elijah. And and all of this is is prophet stuff uh, that you'll see at the end. But Elijah, in in his discouragement, says this. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's true. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. True. Torn down your altars. True. And put your prophets to death with the sword. True. I am the only one left. True or false? False. It's what happens when we get discouraged, right? Everything seems dark because you're in a hole. And he was like literally in a hole. He says, I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. That's also true. And this is what God says to him. And I, I want you to get this because this, is, this is, has a big part to do with the dream. He says, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. I want you to go back to your dream. That thing I put in your heart, I know you think it's not working. I know you think it's dead. I know you're really discouraged, but I want you to go back. And then he tells him all the things that he should do like a prophet does. He says, go there and anoint Haziel of Aram and anoint Jehu, son of Aram, and anoint Elijah, who's going to be the guy who's going to take over from you. And he tells him to go. And he does, and he goes. But like Moses, he never actually sees the fulfillment of the things that were in his heart. Two guys. And some of you are there right now. And some of you might be there at some point. 
So what do we do with those stories? Throw nice cliches at them, right? What God does is absolutely amazing. And I want to, it comes sort of in two parts. Uh, there's, there's a, and, and for some of you, this might have been helpful for you. So if it's been helpful for you, just ignore this last part, talk amongst each other. You know, there's this, this, this phrase that people will say that God can't give you more than you can handle, right? Except the problem with that is it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Um, we don't want you to be uninformed, Paul said, about the troubles we experienced. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. But this happened that we might rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. See, I think, if you're like me, um, when I'm discouraged and frustrated and struggled, I actually don't want cliches thrown at me. I want to know the truth. I want to know, like, I'm, you're not always going to be emotionally satisfied by things, and that's okay, but what you will have is the truth that actually carries you through and gets you to the place that you're going to need to get to. And for Elijah, there were two things that God did that I think were kind of amazing. His story at the end was this, is that when it was his time to die, it, there's sort of a weird story where Elisha and Elijah have been together for years and years and years, and Elijah knows it's his time to go, and he keeps trying to ditch Elisha. And I don't know if he's messing with him or what he's doing, right? But he, and he ends up saying, okay, you come with me. And Elisha says, I want to have double what you have. And he said, wow, that's a really hard ask. And then he says, okay, it's my time. And what happens is God does something that he has never done in the past. And I'm assuming he's never going to do in the future. Remember, Elisha was like so bitterly disappointed and he didn't get it and he didn't see it. God sent a chariot of fire two horses uh, that were fire horses and a wind and a whirlwind which was basically the glory of god coming down and going boom and he took him up into heaven yes thank you i appreciate participation in the message back at you buddy and he takes him up into heaven in that place what was that promise again I will give you a hundredfold. See, neither of these guys understood the place that they had in history. Neither of these guys understood that they were part of this salvation plan. They got, kind of got caught up in the moment. And it seemed like their dream was dead, but God has the big dream in mind for their life and for your life. And sometimes you are not going to see. And so Elijah, boom, he gets caught up and he gets taken into heaven. Here's my question for you. Where do we see Moses and Elijah again in the Bible? Do you remember? New Testament, Luke 9. The disciples are in the middle of the time that they're launching into Jesus, becoming them understanding that he's really God, that he is the one that is going to change salvation, and that it is not just for the Jews, it's for absolutely everybody. And he takes his three closest friends up, and they go up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus is there, and he's transformed not into the little Jewish guy from Galilee, but the Son of God, he's sitting there, and who are the two guys that are with him? Elijah and Moses. Nobody else got to be there. Nobody. And I bet you never thought of that before. Your story. 
God has. And he says, you know, well, that's sort of the cartoony version, but, you know. Here's where they thought they were living, in this place of disappointment. And God said, you know what, I have the big picture of your life. And here's where they actually were. And you know, yeah, Mo and Eli aren't saying, well, I wish I would have seen it when I was on it. Of course not. Because they got to be with the thing that was the real treasure. And you know what the real treasure is in your life? It actually isn't seeing the fulfillment of your dreams. The real treasure in your life is Jesus. That's the real treasure. And that's the place that God has you. When you are discouraged, he says, this is my promise that I have for you. That I am your treasure. And that you can't, even though you can't see right now what's happening, that I am working and I am, because they're my dreams, I am fulfilling those dreams. And his promises are sure. So we have people, we have perspective, and I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes talking to you about the process. And uh, in Ephesians 3.20, it says, he will do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine. <clears throat> so I'm going to start off by this. If you have something that is on your heart, if you have something that's a burden for you, something that you feel like God wants you to do and be a part of, it can be super small or it can be big, the first step that you need to do in that is to activate by saying and talking to the people around you who care about you and who love you about what that dream is. You have to nudge it from imagination into reality. And you help the people around you to know, and you actually affirm yourself more when you begin to talk about it and you begin to say, this is what it should look like. Um, Even though I didn't end up church planting in Oakville, I ended up church planting in a way that was way better, but I always thought of myself as a church planter. And I was very confused when I was here and didn't know that I was, that, and there was no church planting that we were going to do. But you know what? I was still a church planter. I don't know how I'm going to church plant. I talked to Mark and Keith and they said, we're not going to do church planting. And I said, okay, I'm going to do whatever it is God calls me to do and I'm going to do it. And it ends up that here's the thing. If you begin to say in your life, if you begin to speak out those things, nudge them from imagination over to the place where they're reality, you actually stir up the people around you and you stir yourself up. Okay, that's the first thing. You begin to imagine it. The second thing is this, is that you begin to take that place and realize and understand that, it, that your dreams are actually rooted in the world around you and in your history. David, when he was going to build the, uh, the temple for God, he was, in, he, had, he was in this big palace sitting there lounging, being fed grapes in this amazing place, and he had this thought. I'm sitting here, and the temple is in this frayed tent. That doesn't seem right to me. And he had just a burden that started to grow in his life. And he thought, I should build a temple. And he, he gets in this whole thing, and, he, and God tells him, here's where I want you to build a temple. I want you to build temple on Mount Moriah. And for most of us, we would say, that's whatever, right? But you know what Mount Moriah is? It's the place where Abraham first had to work through the thing of sacrificing Isaac. It's actually the place near where Jesus was crucified. Do you see that God is putting something together in a way that only he can see? 
So your dreams, the things that God wants to stir up into you, are really about what you've experienced, about who you are, about the strengths that you have, who do you have around you, what is your church doing, that you can begin to get into that flow. It's going to be rooted in your, in your past and in where you are right now. The third thing is this, the process of this is that it is going to be about passing it on to the people around you. You know that if you've read the Old Testament, that it is not called David's temple, is it? What's it called? Solomon's temple. And where'd that little guy go? There he is. He would have been like that age of that little guy over there. He's just some little kid running around. And David has this dream of doing this. This snotty-nosed kid. And he says, that snotty-nosed kid is going to build your temple. And so what David did, what you and I would do, he pouted for a while. And then he said, well, okay. And, and literally the Holy Spirit downloaded all of where the temple should be, what it would look like, all of those pieces in absolute detail. And when Solomon got to the place where he was old enough and mature enough, he took the architectural drawings and he handed them to his son. And he said, it's been on my heart to build a temple. I want you to do it. So here's my question. If you are, pick a number, over 40, your job is to have something to pass on to the next generation. What are you doing? What are you building? How are you holding the dreams that God has given to you so the next generation can be a part of what you're doing? The world's version of legacy is that I build something, put my name on it, and I make myself look good. Right? That's legacy. That's not God's answer to legacy. God's answer to legacy is that, David, I'm going to ask you to build the ark. I'm going to ask you to build a place. I'm going to put it on your heart, but I'm going to let your son do it, and God's going to get glory because it's his dream and it's his plan. Hey, guys my age, what are you doing for the next generation? How are you living so things can be handed off to them? What pieces do you have that you can give, and it probably starts with listening and connecting. I have a story that I hope is going to pull it all together. There was a gentleman named, named Valentine Huey in 1721, and uh, that's a, he, a picture of a blind boy that he has his hand on, and, and uh, I want you to get the thread of this story, because there's a long thread that runs through this. Valentine was in Paris, hungry one day. He goes into a restaurant, and the restaurant happens to have a theater attached to it, and they were putting on a play, and the play was essentially mocking blind people. And the whole joke was how blind people uh, and with the things they couldn't do, and it was really quite terrible. He walks out of this place going, that was the worst show I've ever been a part of. But something changed in his heart. And all of a sudden, he realized that he had a burden that was starting to grow for people who were blind. He had walked by this same little street urchin boy every day. This time, he looked down and he realized this boy was blind. And so he stopped and he took some coins, and their coins were all the same size, and he gave it to the little boy, and he noticed that the blind boy would run his fingers around the coins to feel the letters on it because the letters were raised. And he thought, oh, 
And, and he walked away, but he couldn't walk away from the burden that he had on his heart. And that was God planting a burden on his heart. And what he did was he, he put together sort of the first very complicated system with wood and, and like how to read a book with all these raised letters. And, it, and you, would, you would never get through a book because it was absolutely just the first place that people start. So he's training this boy. He's teaching him how to do it. Eventually, this boy becomes a teacher. Okay, so there he is, Valentine, doing his thing. Now, there was at the, about a couple, the next generation later, there's a little boy named Lewis. And Lewis wants to be just like his dad. And his dad's a leather worker and he's pounding all these things. His dad's leave, and the little four year old Louis starts hitting the, the awl. It bounces up and it hits him in the eye, punctures his eye. He basically has an infection in one eye, spreads to the other eye, and he's completely blind. Disappointment, right, parents? And what happens is a local pastor comes along and has a burden for this boy. And he begins to take him into his home, and he realizes this is a very brilliant young guy. I I want to do something with him. And he goes, hey, you know what? I heard of this school. So he takes this boy over to the school that Valentine had started. Now the blind street urchin boy is now one of the teachers of this school. And they begin to talk together. And, And just then there was a captain in the army who was teaching his people to, you know in the army how they have to take guns apart in the dark and be able to put them back together? You know that, the Marines, right? They do this. And what this guy was doing is he had secret coded messages that he had made. So if they were in the dark, they could just pass these messages to each other and the soldiers could, could communicate in the dark. So this brilliant Louis, this young teenager, takes this system and he begins applying it at the school that he was in. Now, you've probably guessed this. His name was Louis Braille. Now, I want you to follow, and, and the story is kind of a tragic ending, but he was in his early 20s. It was a, the schools back then were in a terrible place. It was, it was dank, and it was musty, and he got TB, and he died. Except, that would sound really bad, except, you know, he said at the end of his life, he said, God, I think it's time that you take me. I've done everything that I think I'm here for because I know that people who are blind can now read the Bible. So I want you to take this picture right from the beginning. A man's eating lunch, and God puts a burden on his heart. And he did no big thing, really. He just took a street boy in and started doing stuff with him. Small pieces along the way. A boy has a tragic accident, and someone says, hey, you know what, this kid has potential, even if he's blind. And God puts those things together and puts it together with the captain who is working in a completely different field and he makes something happen that has literally changed the, the course of history for blind people. None of those people along the way would have thought they were doing anything amazing. What they were doing was following the burden that God had put on their heart. So my friends today, what's your burden? It's God's dream. Yep, you're going to be discouraged. But he has a promise for you. Amen? Why don't you stand, please? Bow your heads and close your eyes. We want to take just a moment.
Living the dream starts with uh, us surrendering our lives to God, just saying, God, you have leadership of my life. And if you're here or you're online and you have never made that decision to accept Christ as your Savior, to give him full leadership of your life, if there's a hand going up online without anybody looking around. Uh, is there anybody here today who say, you know what, I need to do that. I need to make that decision. Maybe I have in the past and I've fallen away. Would you just lift your hand up? Yep, thank you in the back. Anywhere else? You say, yeah, I need to do that. Yep, thank you. Yep, thank you, sir. That's great. Give you one more minute. Um, just have a sense from the Spirit that there's somebody in your online and you're listening and washing dishes at the same time. Woman, she can multitask. Um, and that God wants to say that he knows who you are. Right. Okay, we're going to pray a prayer. But before we do that, uh, I want to give you a chance to fan into flame that dream that God has. And it might be just a small little thing. You might think, well, you know what, I think a dream has to be bigger than that. No, it's just what's the burden that God's put on your heart? If there's a burden that God's put on your heart and you've either ignored it or you haven't um, moved into it in the way that you really believe that you should, uh, maybe you've been discouraged by people or events or circumstances. Without anybody looking around, if that's you, say, you know what, I need to, I need to make it happen. Would you raise your hand up? You need to trust God. Yeah, hands going up all over the place, you guys. Who else? Yeah. Great. All right, you can put your hands down. So the first part of the prayer is going to be salvation. The second part of the prayer, if you raise your hands, is for you. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I give leadership of my life to you. I surrender. I can't do it. I give it to you to do. I choose this day to follow the dreams that you have put in my heart. Your burdens become my burdens. I thank you for your plan and that it is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand? Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.